0: What's happening, Hardscapers? This is episode 110 of the How to Hardscape podcast, where we talk to you about how you can start and grow your hardscaping business and today's episode is brought to you by iq power tools manufacturers of a comprehensive range of innovative power tools with integrated dust collection systems check out their website iqpowertools.com to see if they'll be in your neighborhood for their war on dust tour and today we're joined by philip d dominicus managing director at menke and associates who focus on employee stock ownership plans that give workers ownership interest in a company, a subject I wanted to get on the show to discuss the benefits of what kind of companies these are suited for, and why you may consider this in the future of your company. So without further ado, let's get into this. Today we're joined by Philip D. Dominicus. He is the managing director at Menke and Associates. And he's here today to talk to us, talk to us about eSops and everything you need to know about them. That's employee stock ownership plans. And Philip, thank you so much for taking the time to do this with me today. You're welcome. Philip, let's get started to get to know a little bit more about yourself and Menke and Associates and everything that you guys do over there. Can you give us a little bit of context about yourself and the business? Uh, Absolutely. So uh, I am a managing director at Menke and Associates. I'm the senior
1: East Coast partner. Uh, The firm uh, is a group of investment bankers. I'm one of those. Uh, Federal ERISA lawyers who focus on retirement plans, specifically employee stock ownership plans, or ESOPs is the acronym. Uh, And then a TPA or record keepers for the ESOP as well. We're the largest ESOP record keeper in the country. The firm uh, has been around for 47 years, which is how long the industry has been around. My boss, John Menke, helped draft the original ESOP legislation. Um, and about one in four new employee stock ownership plans are created by us there's 50 employees here uh, and interestingly we are 70 percent owned by our own employee stock ownership plan and I think we're the only ESOP advisor with our own ESOP probably because we actually have enough employees to support one and by coincidence Incidents. I worked at Morgan Stanley for 10 years and they also had an ESOP and uh, so I've been a participant as well and some of the things you might hear me talk about today are just my experience as a participant uh, just like a lot of our clients.
0: That's incredible and it's uh, obvious that we've got the right guy talking about ESOPs today with us so I appreciate you taking the time. Can we start with describing in general what an ESOP actually is?
1: Absolutely. So an employee stock ownership plan is a qualified retirement plan. Simple IRAs, 401k, 401k profit sharing plans, ESOP. So it's all uh, falls under ERISA law, which is the retirement law that Congress created. And there's different ways to present retirement plans for your employees. Most of our clients, not all of them, have a 401k or similar. Uh, usually we keep the 401k at the company and we add the ESOP next to it. Well, what are the two plans? The They're both tax deferred compensation plans for the employee. So this is all money going into something where the employee doesn't pay current income on it. So it doesn't show up on their current tax is. They grow tax free until their retirement. And then as the money is used coming out of both plans. That's normally where they pay ordinary income. So they're very similar plans. Uh, The difference is, is the 401k, the employee is responsible for how it's invested. It can buy lots of stuff. It just can't buy the shares of the private company where they work. The ESOP can. That's the purpose of it. And Congress 50 plus years ago, when they were looking at this, they looked at the 401k and said, is there a way to put private company shares in there as well? And they just figured out that would be too complicated. So let's just create a new set of rules to allow employees to also be attached to the equity of the firm. So what is typical, and just typical, but not always... There's a 401k, by the way, if the company currently has a simple IRA, it would need to be converted to something like a 401k or just terminated. But 401k employees' money goes there. Employers' money goes to the ESOP. The ESOP investments are directed by the board of directors of the company, not the individual participant. And the ESOP can also invest in that company's stock, the 401k cannot so those are very similar plans when it comes to eligibility vesting schedules um, but it's really the investment side that is very different between the two plans
0: what would an esop necessarily be used for Are a lot of companies using it to reinvest into the business because it, it can hold outside businesses as well like you said it's it's uh about the board of directors what they kind of decide to do with that money correct
1: Absolutely. So, for new ESOPs, uh, about nine out of ten calls that we get, the per, the main purpose of what the board or the owners or the management are trying to do is help address their succession plan. You know, sixty mm-hmm. plus percent of adult workers in this U in the U.S. work for privately owned businesses, which means somebody needs to own it next. They all have the similar problem: is succession planning from a shareholder standpoint. So nine out of 10 calls are, hey, we have a retiring shareholder who owns 17% or 50% or 100%, but it's trying to address who should own the business next. One out of 10 calls, it's typically younger owners just trying to create a better compensation plan to attract and retain a good employee base. So they accomplish both, but it's just when you're designing the plan, how we're using it, what's the primary thing we're trying to figure out. Most of the time it's creating liquidity for a specific shareholder or shareholders in the short term. And every once in a while, it's hey, we're not in a rush. We're not trying to sell lots of shares. We're just trying to get employees connected to company stock because the data says that creates a better company. Mature ESOPs are a little bit different, you know, 10 years down the road when we've dealt with this stuff, a lot of times the ESOP accounts are building up lots of cash, which is a wonderful thing. And then how we look at those investments is different. But early on, you know, the first 10 years, it's those are the two main things we're trying to address.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, especially with secession. And uh, it's actually come up on our podcast a couple of times where guys are thinking the same thing and also to attract employees into the business, which is so crucial in this industry. Landscaping labor is uh, hard to come by, especially these days. So anything that you can do to make your company more appealing for for new employees to come in is always a benefit. But what type of company is, is a good candidate for an ESOP?
1: So the the nice thing about the industry, it's really a financial tool. So similar to a 401k, there's not like an industry specific like, oh, 401ks are great here, but not over here. And that's also very similar to an ESOP. It's, it's really a financial tool. Uh, there are some minor exceptions, though. So first of all, you know size matters. Uh, last year, I did a, an ESOP for six employees. They need the BSC Corp. Uh, we're not really jumping up and down about that size company, but there was a very specific reason why it did make sense for them. So you can actually go pretty small. If it's an S corp, then we're looking at you know twelve plus employees uh, and growing or very stable. That's kind of the general uh, size of the headcount. When we look at company value, we're looking at about a million dollars of company value. Again, you can go pretty small with these things. It doesn't mean you can't do an ESOP below that value, uh, but you but there are fees associated with setting up and maintaining it, and we just see that when you drop below that value, the conclusion from the owners tends to be it's too expensive for the benefit of it. But, you know, owners need to be a little bit careful. A lot of them, their succession plan is, is when I'm done, I will sell it. it and I'm an m banker. I sold businesses for 14 years before I came here 17 years ago. We also sell a lot of our ESOP owned companies. So the ESOP, up, doesn't have to be the, the final version of the company or the final owner. But, um, you know, it's really hard to sell privately owned businesses. And I've known that because I've done it for 30 plus years. Um, and the SBA a couple of years ago came out with a study, which I've kind of always known. I was a little surprised at the number, but it was 80% of privately held businesses who go to market, meaning they hire a business broker or an investment banker to sell the business fail. So Mm -hmm. the point just is you got to be a little bit careful when you're leading up to your succession to really do your homework on both avenues or all avenues and to also do it early. Because if you wait a little bit too long as an owner and you're now you have to sell, then it's just really hard to get a decent price out of it. When it comes to industry, you know, if you can own shares, if it makes sense to own shares of the privately owned business as an individual, then there's no reason why the ESOP can't own it also. The exception to that is certain professional practices where state law prevents an ESOP from owning shares. matter of fact, they prevent anyone except the licensed professional from owning shares. So if you're a medical practice, dental practice, law firm, CPA, some professional engineering firms uh, where the state has ownership requirements uh or restrictions really you need to see whether you can put an esop within that the states are slowly changing uh to allow esops to fit within those industries but it's 50 states it's a dozen different industries um, so that's the caveat to who may not be able to do or who may be able to do an
0: esop really interesting especially those numbers in terms of selling a private held company, especially in our industry where a lot of the times it's basically more so selling equipment and that's your business if you have no succession plan. I I see this avenue of an ESOP as being a a good uh, alternative to say just selling off your equipment because you have no no one able to take over As long as you've got those systems in place where you have those employees that are kind of bought into the brand to the company and they're willing to continue that aspect of the company as opposed to, uh, you know, just breaking off and and whatnot. Uh, Is there I'm just trying to think like with with this, is this very much more so for say a landscaping company that has recurring revenue on the books and they're continuing to grow that recurring revenue because we've got a couple different types of landscape business owners listening to this we've got those that are say doing landscape maintenance landscape installs for existing employee or existing clients and they've got this recurring revenue business model. And also maybe they're taking on hardscape projects where they're doing one-off, mostly one-off installs of these uh, larger outdoor living spaces. Uh, that's kind of one type of business owner listening to this. And then the other is they're just doing those one-off, mostly one-off installs for clients and uh, and doing those design builds like that. Do you see one of those aspects being better suited for ESOPs or could they both definitely work? Uh, Going back to that, the recurring revenue business model of landscaping versus the design build mostly one-off for one client uh, aspect of of a business.
1: Uh, Yeah, it's a great question. And the answer really comes in the valuation part of it. The ESOP which the, you create a trust that's the retirement plans that owns the shares and the way the law is written is the esop wants to buy the shares of the company it's just not allowed to overpay for it so that's the trick is to make sure whatever valuation the system comes up with is a reasonable valuation for what's in, in front of them mm-hmm. uh recurring revenues by definition is or is usually better than one off you know in any given year it may not be from a profit standpoint but Clearly, everyone likes recurring revenues. So where we have landscaping businesses, where a portion of it is recurring revenues, that's terrific. Um, My company, although we're an ESOP advisor, but we do this record-keeping business. We have a 1,000 ESOP companies who send us that work. That is recurring. It shows up every year. It's a very valuable part of our business because when we go to our ESOP appraiser, we can show, look at this lovely customer base. It shows up every year. There's a lot of value to it. So it's kind of the anchor in the valuation. And then if you look at the legal part of our business and then the investment banking part of the business, uh, that should fluctuate more because uh, particularly my side of the business and investment banking, it's like finding new transactions. Now, we're really good at it and we seem to be actually pretty stable every year. But clearly when you're that could not be there but we would still get our recurring revenue so long-winded answer of recurring revenue helps to get to a nice value uh because it's by it's recurring uh that doesn't mean you can't we have plenty of service businesses construction businesses that is more hey like eat what we kill we get business and we don't so but the way to get the value there and have a successful esop is really then size and history Mm. so if all menke had and i'll just you know was investment banking and legal and we didn't have that lovely record keeping part well if we can show we can show we've been around for 47 years we have all these clients that you know we have this massive referral system and uh, we get all those business every year that still has a ton of value as well but it's then more the history of the company, the size, and then even that is where, where do these deals come from? You know, I have some hardscaping businesses where they get a lot of government uh, stuff, uh, you know, and they're the go-to person for it. Now, again, you know, government budgets change and whatever, so there's some fluctuation in there. So if you can show that you have a good history, if you show that you have some critical mass so that if one year isn't so great in just the number of projects, but you're still around and you can adjust your workforce to not, you know, be bleeding cash, then that is fine as well. But that, that's really where we would, and it's normally where we focus first in, does it make sense for you to have an ESOP? Do you have the headcount? how what might be the value of who you are and then the neat thing about the esap versus a third-party buyer is it's pretty much a theoretical value so the, there is a value there it's just does the owner like it versus a third-party buyer is trying to figure out how to constantly make money if they do a lot of leverage to pay off the debt and then maybe how to flip it and sell it to somebody else so it's a great question it could work if for the one-off uh, project companies again if you have some critical mass and have a good history to say well how do you get your projects and there's plenty of companies that year after year make a lot of money you have a great referral system you're the go-to people but there's very little
0: recurring revenue mm-hmm. now thinking about this uh from an owner perspective when they come to you have they already kind of approached their employees for the most part about this and and discussed it with the employees to make sure that they're or at least a good amount of their employees are actually on board with this idea or a lot of people coming to you guys beforehand to see what this kind of looks like get some uh, consulting before taking it to their employees and saying you know we could go this route and kind of continuing off that question, if it's not going to overload you here, Philip, uh, sorry about this, but what, what is a good timeframe before, you know, say hypothetically, they're going to, you know, uh, start this ESOP plan. What's a good time frame to kind of start this discussion with their employees and with, with you guys?
1: Actually a great question, which I'm not too sure it's ever been asked of me. I, uh- um, the, the, the employee one, but the, as far as the process concerned the, the setup up in ESOP, just to have it there ready to fund takes about a month, uh, the discussion to, uh, decide to do one is all over the place. Uh, right. last month I got two new clients. One person I've been talking to for three months, the other person I've been talking to for eight years, literally. Mm-hmm. So, and again, it goes to that question you asked earlier is, why are ESOPs used? And a good portion of them are part of succession planning. Well, the ESOP is a tool to help succession planning, but succession planning is a much bigger picture. There's a lot of more things. It's very personal. It's emotional. There's sometimes family issues or structuring issues. There's all these things that play into that, which we understand and are very familiar with, but we need to address a lot of times 20 different things and the ESOP is one of those and how to use it. So there's a lot of planning that goes into, is this the right tool? And so we're very uh, patient with our prospects. Uh, We keep very good notes. Uh, I got people call me all the time. I got one this morning. Hey, remember me? We talked to you three years ago and I was like, okay, let me pull up my notes and then I'll remember you. So that answers, I think, that one, uh, which is it, it's all over the place, but we can actually move very quickly. And that's a nice thing. Like, if I was hired to sell your business, well, there's a process, a much bigger process to prep you for that. And then there's this going out to market, which is a very laborious, time consuming process. The ESOP doesn't have that. Why? We know who the buyer is, and we know that they're a willing buyer. We just need to figure out the price. So it's a much shorter more nimble process, but even selling a few shares to an ESOP, someone should assume that's three or four months. There's just a lot of little things we need to do. To the employees, um, I've had prospects talk to their employees first. I personally am not a fan of it. Uh, And the reason is it's a relatively complicated subject, but it's also not up to the employees to decide how they get paid. It's up to the board of directors to decide how employees get paid. That's how all corporations work is me. I don't decide my pay at Menke and Associates, you know, the board of directors decides how they pay me. I may or may not like it, but I, I don't decide my own paycheck. And I don't decide whether I want a 401k or an ESOP or a cash bonus plan. It's also my belief that anybody who gets asked how do you wanna get paid? They would not say match me in the 401k or give me, a, give me an ESOP they say I just want cash today. I don't wanna be attached to the business. I really don't want anything to do with you. I wanna be able to move on any given day, regardless of the tax consequences. That's just my belief. But it doesn't mean it's in their best interest to pay them that day, particularly when they work at a company long-term, we need the company to be healthy. That's why employers offer 401ks because it's a good benefit, relatively cheap to entice that person to stay there. ESAPs have been shown very clearly because there's lots of data out there. It increases employer retention or employee retention and it, it makes it easier to attract people to your company. But that takes time. So, more often than not, we're dealing with the shareholders first. They have a right to determine their destiny. Then we need to, if they're not also the management of the company, explain this to the management of which style of ESOP the the shareholders are looking to do. I need the the management team happy as well and the CFO particularly. Then usually it's executed and then we explain it to the employees. Now that's a very important meeting. Uh, It's actually part of our setup of the ESOP and one in four new ESOPs are created through us. That's a commercial. Um, but we then show up and explain it to the employees. So whatever I'm telling the owners and management that I think is good for them, I'm the one defending it or the respective investment banker in whatever territory they're in um, to say, here's what we just did and why. And here's why it's we think it's in your best interest to really pay attention to this and be excited about it. So long-winded answer of compensation is not up to the employee. Uh, what we've seen, I've done this for 17 years. I've done, I don't know, 300 plus employee meetings. Nobody walks out the door and usually it's the opposite. They thank the owners, they shake their hands. I think I have five stories of five individuals not quite getting it, uh, but that's over, I don't know, 20,000 employees I've probably talked to. So, um It's a good thing, or my owners wouldn't do it. No owner I've ever had set up one, thought it was good for them and bad for the employee. It has to be good for everybody. And Congress, I think, did something really good. It's a very well thought out product. Uh, It's very well vetted. It's been around for 50 years. There's some weird things in it that I'm not really thrilled about that could be a little bit cleaner, but the mechanism itself uh, seems to work. It makes sense to me. I'm an engineer, uh, so it has to have common sense to it, and it does
0: i just want to take a moment from today's episode to thank iq power tools for being a sponsor of today's episode this episode is brought to you by iq power tools the firm that builds smart tough award-winning clean-cut concrete and masonry power tools that eliminate dust eliminating dust from your job site is smart it saves time it saves money and it saves lives keep your job site safe and healthy for you and your crew as well as the neighbors and the homeowner around you and look professional while you're on the job site with these IQ Power Tools dust eliminating systems. Visit them at iqpowertools.com and learn how to implement healthier and more efficient work practices for your next project. And give them a thanks on their social channels at IQ Power Tools for sponsoring the How to Hardscape podcast. Now back to our episode. And thank you for those answers, Philip. I know that was a uh quite a broad range of, of questions in terms of answers for it there's there's no really one answer for any of these questions really but going to back to the owners how does an owner owner benefit from an esop
1: again kind of a broad answer and and it is the good part about esops it's a very flexible product and it Addresses many different things. That's the good news. The bad news is it's a very flexible product and it offers many things. So it's different things to different people. And the harder part about setting up an ESOP is not what is an ESOP, but how should this prospect take the biggest advantage? Take the biggest advantage of the product because one in five new ESOPs were selling 100% of the company day one. That's just what they want to do. But 80% of new ESOPs, we're selling something less than that, and, and a lot of them we're not selling anything yet. We're funding it, and then we're selling shares later down the road. So what does that mean to the current shareholders? Well, what and why do they care? Well, first of all, we're trying to get them at the you know at the top of the list. Essentially, is you're trying to get money for your shares. You know that's it's we we need a succession plan part of succession planning to an owner operator is shares board of directors day to day. So a lot of times they're the CEO, they're the chairman, and the only board member, and, and they're also the owner. But those are really three different hats. So to give up day to day, meaning retire all or part, you can't really own the whole thing. It's just kind of, I can't just walk away and still have all my investment in here. So the ESAP really addresses the first one, which is let us get you some liquidity for your ownership. You can stay on the board for as long as you want. And now it helps address when might you want to slow down. So that's the first thing is helping you get money out of one pocket and into another pocket, which any asset manager or broker is what I call them, You know any broker, You know when they're looking at an individual's portfolio, this is an owner of a business, As they near retirement, they need to look at their company as part of the portfolio. So, hey, you got a $10 million company, you have a $1 million in liquid assets, you are not diversified. You have a massive chunk in a very illiquid and volatile security, which is equity. You need to take money out of the left pocket and put it in the right pocket. Great, but it's not an easy thing to do, The other thing which you heard is, you know, four out of five times when we meet people, they're not looking to sell the business that day. They're just looking to start moving money from the left pocket to the right pocket. So you get some liquidity off the table. You still get to run your business. You get to start to relax at some point and go, hey, I don't want to work five days a week. Maybe I'll work three days a week. You start giving some of your, quote unquote, control to other people so that someday maybe you're not the CEO but you're still the chairman. You can hang around at the business for as long as you want, as long as you're adding value, which is neat because most business owners that I've met really don't know how to retire. But okay, well, how about be a board member? Uh, By the way, I have other clients who need independent board members and you run a business and you understand ESOPs. That's a great skill set that not a lot of people have. So a lot of times that's an easy place. I have some business owners who go back down the corporate structure You know, hey, I really like working outside and doing all this stuff. I was so successful, I own a business and now I'm stuck in the office, which isn't that fun sometimes. Well, you can't go back to working outside if you own the whole thing. But if you get your money out of the business, I've actually had owners go, one sells car, one went back to a chef, one went back into the lab, one's a scientist again, like you, you go back to what you love. So it gives the owner tons of flexibility that's between I own it and run it every day and I've sold it and I don't do anything anymore. There's all this flexibility in the middle. Then you look at the prospects of the business. ESOP companies work on average, they do better than their counterparts and the numbers are pretty staggering at how much better they do. So you're also building a better business, hopefully. And if you didn't sell the whole thing, you're getting the lion's share, the upside of the increase in value. You sold some, but you know you still own a lot. And then you also get to participate in your own ESOP. So you're selling shares and then you're also an employee just like everybody else's. And then there's all sorts of other things when it comes to when there's more than one shareholder of how to deal with family members and other shareholders. There's all this flexibility. So you know, again, one of the harder parts is First step is who are the shareholders and what are they trying to accomplish? It's really important that we dig into that first and listen a lot and then start giving them thoughts back on saying, Well, from what you've heard, what I've heard, how does this feel to you? And they go, Oh, I didn't know I could do that. Oh, that's really interesting. So it's a it's a it's a puzzle a lot of times. I'm not just selling. Here's a product, you either like it, or you like 401ks are relatively straightforward and you got a few options, but it's a real pretty straightforward product. ESOP is this extremely flexible product, but it also fits into a much bigger picture of the company because it's company stock. So it's a much longer sale process. There's a a lot that the shareholders and the owner and the board needs to understand to go, hmm, it makes sense for us. And here's where we see our destiny. Here's how we want to use this tool.
0: I definitely see it as a tool to be able to get all parties on board and uh, really get buy-in from the owner, the employees to benefit the company. Can you explain a little bit how a company might benefit from from an ESOP?
1: Well, absolutely. So... Um, when I joined the industry 17 years ago, at the time there was already a couple dozen studies out there that looked at ESAP companies versus non-esop companies. And even back then, the data was pretty overwhelming of how much better the company does and how much better the employee does as a participant in the plan. And it used to be, you know, early on, and studies started about 10 years after. Uh, ESOP started. So about 1984 was the first study. ESOP started in 1974. And they came out every three to five years. Someone got around to doing a study. Does it really work? When I joined, there was maybe a study every year or two. And now there seems to be about three studies a year. A lot of people are focused on it. I think it's also easier to get to the data. But overwhelmingly, and again, I'm a little bit shocked at the numbers, um, but companies do better. They do Top line is better. Bottom line is better. They are dramatically uh, less likely to go bankrupt during the last recession, not COVID, but the recession before that. The average company in the US fired or laid off 12% of its workforce. The average ESOP company laid off 3% of its workforce. Why? It's really two reasons. One is, ESOP companies, if your employees are also attached to the equity value, uh, everyone's chipping in to tighten our belts and figure out how to survive this downturn. But ESAP companies also tend to have stronger balance sheets. There's simply more cash on the balance sheet to, to protect you on the downside. Uh, the data is already coming out for last year during COVID, ESAP companies survived dramatically higher rates than non-ESAP companies. Uh, When you look at the employees, the average ESAP participant in the U.S. today currently has four and a half times the retirement savings of everybody else, every other working adult. When I joined 17 years ago, that was two times. That was a big number. Hey, it's twice. It's not like 10% more five. It's twice as much 17 years ago. Right now, it's four and a half times. There was a new study in, uh, by the NCEO in 2019, the average 60 to 64-year-old. So someone who was 62 in 2019 who had an ESAP account had 10 times the retirement funds on average than every other working adult in that age group. Wow. It's ridiculous, yeah. But which by the way, was about $400,000. So somehow magically these work. It's really not magic. When you look at the, the tax incentives Congress has provided, when you look at these companies do better, turnover goes down, recruitment is easier. There's more margin, which not only means you're worth more, but it also means you have more cash to grow the business.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So they work. And the nice thing is the data supports that. So.
0: And then finally, from an, an uh, employee perspective, how is an employee going to benefit from this? Sure. So for
1: the employee, uh, and I answered you know, part of that in the last one, although you asked just the company, but the company is stronger business, easier to recruit people, uh, easier to retain your employees, and you're worth more. Uh, to the employee is you now have two retirement plans. Typically, please put your money in a 401k, focus on the value of the ESAP going forward. On average, you should do better. Your company is more stable. But there's also studies like Morale. Morale goes up. Well, that's interesting. Why should morale go up at an ESOP company? You know, is it, well, my company really cares for me. I have two retirement plans. You know, that might be it a little bit, but I think what really changes is how employees see their job description. So, and I'm a perfect example here at Menke. I am, I was hired as an investment banker to find ESOP prospects, explain ESOPs to them, structure their deals, design new plans, you know, and my compensation is very revenue oriented. If I bring in revenues, I make money. Well, the prospects of Menke and Associates, although related to revenues, is really profits. We need to be profitable. If we keep losing money every year, then it really doesn't matter how well I do on the top line if I'm losing money on the bottom line. Well, Menke on a, on a monthly basis doesn't pay me for profits. They pay me for revenues. But I am responsible in my territory for a whole bunch of expenses and Why do I care? Well, I care because I think I'm a good employee, but I also care because I'm a 17-year member of my ESOP. I have lots of shares attached to me, so I have the long-term value of the business is really the profits. So I'm doing my job, but I'm also trying to do it very efficiently. We need bottom line. But what we also do, there's 50 employees here, is it also matters how well the guy, uh, the investment banker in Chicago does, and Texas does, in California, we have five investment bankers. It also, my value of the ESAP uh, depends on how well the legal department does and the admin department does. So how well we work together also matters. So we tend to be more user-friendly to each other. You know, one guy a couple of years ago, he hurt his hip. He couldn't do one of the seminars out in St. Louis. He called me up and said, can you cover me? And then he said, "Oh, by the way, if you get any clients from that, I'll split the commissions with you." I'm like, "They're your commissions. I, you know, I will do this because it's the right thing for the firm, and you know, you owe me one." So what you'll see with ESAP participants is they start to look at their job differently. One is, I care about the whole business, and that's you know the concept of owners versus renters. You, you seemingly, and again, on in general, I talk about in generalities. You'll you take care of your car more if you own it versus rent it. Your home for own it versus rent it. Your house, your business. You're actually have an equity interest in it. So you just tend to pay a little bit more attention to it. You tend to help out people more. If you're the last one out the door, you turn out the lights, you know, which sounds ridiculous. But hey, if no one's there at night and the lights are on and you pay the electric bill, that just comes out of profits. So that's what tends to happen over time is the employees look at their jobs differently they it's a little bit more interesting there seems to be a different conversation about ideas we want your ideas because in our firm there's 50 employees there's 50 brains we have 11 senior folks i'm one of them who runs the business we're the management committee we have a call once a month we're always trying to look at competition and deals in the industry and all that stuff but there's 30 other 39 other people where we really want to know how to do better. And, and they're get They're paid through that through very directly through the ESOP. So that's where we think the employees benefit. It's not only in their pocketbook, but also it's just a more interesting place to work. Like if you go to the ESOP association conference, when we were having them um, they have employee communication, competitions. You know, how do you communicate with your employee? And they have these booths and they show how they do it. And then, you know, there's awards given out. But if you look at who's presenting that, it's not the management of the company. It's lower level people who've been given the responsibility to figure out what this thing is promoted internally, promoted externally. I call it cheerleader camp. They're all a little crazy, but that didn't happen by accident. And it happened because The better that company does, they get paid a second time for that, and that's really an ownership concept.
0: That makes a lot of sense and really clear, Philip. Thank you so much for your uh, the way you're answering these questions. And then I do have a couple more questions here that I I believe are short and are not uh, are not going to have, I'm sure, one specific answer as with most of these questions I've been asking you. But if if a business decides to go ahead with an ESOP does an employee pay a lump sum based on their years with the business and then followed by like recurring salary draws or how how is that structured does that depend on the owner and the board of directors about how they decide to structure this and move forward with this
1: I'm sorry so was that for the money that goes in each year or when the participant has left the company or both
0: Um, more so for like, uh, yeah, I believe on that, on that yearly basis, like once the ESOP has been planned for how, how is an employee, I guess, buying into it like monetarily? Where is that coming from?
1: So the ESOP is essentially a company funded retirement plan. So Mm -hmm. if you have a 401k profit sharing plan, if you have a broad based cash bonus plan, all the same concept. It's just where does the money go when the company has written the check? So, typically, just typically, for an ESOP or a profit sharing plan, you wait. The the board of directors waits till the year is over. They see if they made some money. Mm -hmm. They decide if they want to make a profit sharing contribution to the ESOP. And again, similar to a profit sharing plan to a 401k or a cash bonus plan. And you go, ah, the board has decided to put. As an example, four, everyone who's eligible gets 4% of their pay. Great. Then the company writes the check to the ESOP, and that's how the money goes in. If you and I were employees at that business, we get 4% of whatever our gross W 2 was. That's typical, but there are variants to that. So if you were getting paid $100,000, you got $4,000. And if I got paid $50,000, I got $2,000. So the board determines where. How profits are divided at the end of the year. Should it reinvest in the business? Should we buy more trucks? Should we buy another business? Should we keep it on the balance sheet because this weird thing, COVID, is hitting and maybe we should keep a strong balance sheet? Should we send it to our shareholders or should we make a profit sharing contribution to the ESOP or a little bit of everything? So it's, no different than what boards currently do. Hey, we have money at the end of the year; it's profits.
0: How should we spend it? That makes a lot of sense, and thank you for that. And so, if uh, if a company decides to go ahead with an ESOP and set this all up, what if uh, I, I, has there ever been an area in which an employee just is not on board with working for uh, and an employee-owned business? That is, is that kind of like the breaking point? between an employee and employer where they decide it's not the place for us. Does that even exist? Is, is most people kind of uh, in favor of it in terms of an employee? Have you ever heard any stories about that?
1: So, uh, you know, I've set up over 300 ESOPs in 17 years. I do the initial employee communication meeting. I then get invited back for a lot of my clients to do them on an annual basis or every three years or something. So I've been in in front of a lot of employees. Um, I think logically this makes sense to everybody, Mm -hmm. uh, but not everybody gets it. So in my 17 year tenure, I've not heard stories, I've been in the middle of stories. So there's like five stories of where a participant just sat there and was not getting it. Um, uh, uh, The one that came out on the good side, these employee meetings usually last about an hour. Uh, There was one situation, it was up in Boston, it was a tech company, Uh, about half the employees came from Russia. They were now naturalized citizens, but they're working here. But these these Russian tech folks and they had just in Russia had just been through that whole privatization of uh, the government industries. It was a big scam to the little people. So they thought equity was a scam. I was there for three hours explaining this to them. Uh, I went through everything I know about everything, including what I knew about Russia, because someone offered me a job there once. I knew a lot about it. And at the end, they stood up, they shake the owner's hand and said, this is awesome. Thank you very much. So I believe that it should work for most people. Uh, there is a story, a company in New York, one of my earlier clients, it was a, a blue collar high vac company, uh, 300 people in a, in a room at the holiday inn I'm presenting, uh, this one guy raised his hand and said, um, you know, it's in proportion to pay typically. And his question was, well, why don't we all get the same? And under my breath, I said, because we're not a socialist country, at least not at the moment. Um, But but it was like, because we measure your product estimate of someone's productivity is how a company pays you. So your pay is X and mine is half of X, you get twice as much as what I do. Well, he got up and he walked out of the room, which fine but the two brothers who by the way this was a program where they had a 401k with no company funding to an esop with company funding so the, the company was actually going to start paying their employees more he got up he walked out of the room uh, there was a break the two brothers said hey when you if you see this guy you know please pull him aside we want everybody happy and this is a group of 300 folks um, he never came back it was the one empty seat it was a standing room only there was one empty seat and so at lunchtime when i was just going to talk to the managers they said well did you find i said would well, you ever find him because he didn't come back in he said yeah we found him in the parking lot we fired him and i'm like well that's pretty dramatic particularly since these are like the two nicest guys in the world and he said look we hired him five years ago we should have fired him five years ago he never fed in he was never fit in he never was a good employee and today was the day those are very, oh, the other story then is, you know, uh, a, a, another company where this guy at the end, the meeting was over. He wa- I said, look, if you got questions, you're shy, walk up to me after and ask questions. So he started telling me how bad it was to own equity, which I thought was really weird. Um, there was a guy standing there who I'd never met before uh, listening in. And we turned out he's one of the shareholders that I just never met. I met the three principal shareholders I never met the other five shareholders. So he's complaining in front of one of the shareholders how it's bad to own equity. And I'm like, well, that's the data just doesn't support your comment. You know, 401ks with equity. If you want to change your net worth, you need to invest in equities over time. I've always done better than every other asset class, period. But it's a portfolio theory. This is just one investment of many things that you should have, et cetera, et cetera. So I went through all that. And he was still like, no, like, I don't like this, shouldn't have equity, blah, blah, blah. And the 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 guy who was standing there said, Well, you don't like it, you know, the front door is over there. And I'm I'm like, Well, who the who who are you? And he's like, Oh, he's one of the shareholders. Well, turned out the guy used to be, you know, one of the heads of one of the unions. And the unions were taught, equity is bad. We owe all we want is cash. So, you know, those are outlier stories, but everyone should get it. But again, the management and the board and the shareholders will not set this up if they think it's bad for the shareholders because that's counterintuitive because the owners aren't getting all their money day one. They need this employee group to help pay this stuff off and to buy more shares, etc. So the last thing you wanna do is harm the group that helps derive the profits to pay for this thing in the first place. Um, but it's also why setting up an ESOP, that first meeting is simply something we do. We want the meeting to happen and we need it to go well. We know how to answer all the questions. Uh, We've seen it all before. Um, We're not going to make everybody happy, but who we don't make happy is really a tiny minority of folks.
0: And yeah, I figured there was some sort of story there. That's why I did ask because not everybody kind of has the same mentality when it comes to I guess their past experiences or whatever they've lived through to uh, help them come to those types of uh, conclusions that they have so thank you so much for those Philip and Philip thank you so much for your time today talking about Aesop's and uh, answering my uh, slew of questions for you I really do appreciate it where can our audience go to learn more about yourself Minky and Associates and everything that you've got going on there?
1: Uh, sure. So two places. If you want to discuss ESOPs, you can come directly to me at pddom at menke.com. So it's P for Phil, D is a dog, E-D-O-M, P-D-E-D-O-M at M-E-N-K-E.com, menk Or you can go to our website, which is M-E-N-K-E.com and there's lots of information there. If you're intrigued, you can fill in a form. Uh, If you're throughout the country, if you'll be directed to the investment banker in your territory, if you wanna talk to me directly, just write in the comments section that you wanna talk to uh, Phil, period,
0: and, and you'll get me directly. Philip, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to today's podcast episode. Visit us at howtohardscape.com for more information on this subject and many others. Let us know what you want to learn about in future episodes by reaching out to us on our social channels. We are at How to on Facebook and Instagram or email us contact at howtohardscape.com. Once again, thank you to IQ Power Tools for sponsoring today's episode. Go check them out at iqpowertools.com to check out their War on Dust tour and see if they'll be in your neighborhood this summer. We look forward to meeting with you next week on the How to Hardscape podcast.